0: If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. That's page 981 in the Black Pew Bibles in front of you. 981. We're going to be looking at Philippians 3 verses 12 through 16 today. We've been working our way through this book for several months now. We're Kind of coming to the last chapter. We'll be finishing up here in the next month, month and a half. And so um, it's just been a tremendous uh, journey, at least for me. I don't know about anybody else, but I've really enjoyed working through Philippians. Let's read verses 12 through 16 of Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this. God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, let's set the context for this passage. We've spent two weeks looking at verses 1 through 11, okay? We spent two weeks looking at that. Um, The primary point in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 3 is that we are unable to live up to the righteousness that God requires, but… We can receive a righteousness or the righteousness of Christ by faith. It does not matter what religious exercises we perform, what our bloodline is, or how zealously we hold our religious commitments. None of those things can make us right with God. This is 1 through 11, okay? We must be 100% righteous, not good people, not better than the person next to us, Not having our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, 100% righteous is the standard. And we've all failed, and we all stand condemned before a holy God. But in God's tremendous grace, Christ came to earth 2,000 years ago, and Jesus, as the God-man, lived the sinless life that we cannot… He was crucified on a cross, taking our punishment on Himself. Three days later, He rose from the dead to prove that His sacrifice was accepted. And now, anyone who trusts in Christ for the forgiveness of sins receives His righteous life. That's Paul's point in verses 1 through 11, all of that. Those who have faith in Christ are counted righteous. They receive a righteousness from outside of them. So that when God looks at us, He no longer sees our filthy garments because they've been removed. And we've been clothed in new righteous robes. And then, once we have received this new righteousness, we are empowered to live a new resurrected life. So another way Paul describes this new life that we're called to live is in verses 10 and 11. Look back up in verses 10 and 11. He says, "...that I may know Him," that's Christ, "...and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." So, one of the purposes of receiving Christ's righteousness is that we would know the power that comes with this new identity that we have, right? We're now made righteous. We've been given new clothes, a new nature, a new identity. Now, go in that power and become who you are. This is who you are. Now, go live in that new power. Then we come to verse 12, our passage today, which says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. So, Paul wants his readers to know that even though he has received all of these amazing spiritual benefits, he is not yet perfected. He has not yet arrived at moral or spiritual perfection, nor has He been physically resurrected, right? That should be obvious, but there might have been people teaching that the resurrection had already happened during Paul's time. He is still, Paul, He is still a work in progress. Yes, we receive all these same spiritual gifts and glories, but there is still a need for growth, is there not? So this passage this week is about spiritual growth, spiritual striving, and spiritual maturity. Now, this is a timely message for us today as we begin a new year. There's probably many of us who are contemplating how we would like this year to be different from 2018. I know I am. This is often the time when people set new goals or resolutions they would like to live up to in the coming year. For Christians, many times we reevaluate where we are in our spiritual walk and try to implement new strategies or habits that will move us along in the Christian life further. And many of these things are really good. Maybe you've started a new Bible reading plan. Awesome. I hope you do. I hope you read through the Bible this year. Maybe you've committed to read a list of books in 2019. I hope you do. Maybe you're trying to reorganize your day so you can have more time to pray or journal or share the gospel with your neighbors. I hope you do. All of these things can be good, and I hope, as we'll see later, that we are actively seeking to make changes in our lives to the better. I love the start of a new year. I like making new commitments. The thought of setting new habits and goals and patterns for my life excites me and energizes me. It's okay if that's not you. There's nothing magical or spiritual about January 1st. It's not. It's a man-made calendar, right? It's okay. It works for me. It's okay if it doesn't for you. But as we'll see today, all of us, are called to actively pursue growth in godliness. And here's my point. Is if you need a proposition for today, the main point is, because Christ has made us His own, we can press on towards Christlikeness. Because Christ has made us His own, we can press on toward Christlikeness. The first thing I want us to see from this passage... I'm going to get specific later in the message, but the first point is more of a, of a principle here. It's, it's already, not yet. When we read this passage, we see this, this kind of paradox of you've already been made righteous, but you still need to grow in righteousness, right? So how, how do we think about that? And so the first thing I want us to see is this already, not yet distinction You see, Paul has not attained the resurrection of the dead. That's his point in verse 12. There have been some people in his day, possibly who were teaching that it had already happened. He clearly refutes that. He flat out says, it hasn't happened. I have not been resurrected. I have not perfected yet. I have not reached maximum godliness, right? I'm not sinless. I'm still growing, this is a key distinction we have to keep in mind about our Christian lives. You see, the moment faith is awakened in your soul, you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That's what makes you right before God. This is called, sometimes called, our positional righteousness, okay? We are put in a position where we are counted righteous in Christ because of His perfect life, positional righteousness. That's your position before God. But we are still sinners. While we have been clothed with righteousness, we are still becoming progressively more righteous. This is our progressive righteousness. We are not made morally perfect at the point of our conversion. We are made positionally righteous Because Christ now stands between us and God, and His righteousness is counted as ours. But there is still, and we know this, there is still a battle to be fought daily, right? Between our new nature in Christ and our old nature, the nature of our flesh. We feel this tension every day, don't we? This tension we feel between our old self and our new self is normal, And I say normal because this is something that all Christians deal with. It does not mean that your conversion was false or ineffective or that you are somehow lacking in some spiritual grace. We do not need another spiritual experience such as speaking in tongues or making Jesus the Lord of our lives or something else to add to our conversion to make it effective. No, this tension that we feel between our old nature and our new nature, the being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and yet still feeling I am not yet righteous. I have not attained this. That's normal. That, that's a normal Christian experience. Sometimes you might hear pastors or preachers talk about the already and the not yet. Okay, when Christ came, He brought with Him a new kingdom. So in one sense, the kingdom of Christ is here, right? But in another sense, there's another sense in which the kingdom of Christ is not yet fully manifested. When Christ returns, He will once and for all do away with sin and Satan and establish His kingdom on earth. So the kingdom of Christ has already arrived with the coming of Christ, but it has not yet fully been revealed, right? Right? We presently live in this in-between time and where, where we are citizens of heaven, but we also have to figure out how to live as ambassadors in this broken, sinful world. This is the same idea, okay? We are already righteous in Christ, but we are not yet made perfect. We are already clothed in the righteous life of Jesus, but we have not yet fully attained the resurrection From the dead. We don't fully know the power of his resurrection. We have not become sinless or complete or whole. We are still striving and struggling. We live in a fallen world with mortal bodies as sinful humans fighting against our old natures. This is why it is necessary for us to continue to pursue growth in godliness. You see, our salvation is not the end of our spiritual journey. It's only the beginning. The Christian walk really is like being born again. There's a reason it's called that. There are stages of development and maturity. Look down at verse 15. Look what Paul writes in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul specifically says those who are mature are those who are pressing on towards the goal. But the fact is, many Christians become complacent or apathetic in our walk with the Lord. This is something that we all struggle with, right, from time to time. Perhaps you're in a season like that now. So don't be surprised when your fellow brothers or sisters struggle with sin and fall back into temptation or disappoint you. They are not yet made perfect, just like you. This already not yet understanding of our lives is very important for us when we think about something like church unity. You see, the brothers and sisters next to you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ just like you. They have been given a new nature just like you. They've received the gift, that gift, by God's sovereign grace. They did not do anything to earn it just like you. But they, just like you, are not complete. They are still growing, they are still sinners. That spouse is still a sinner. They will disappoint and fall, and struggle, and strive, and their lives will at times be inconsistent with that new nature they have received, just like you. So, as we think about Christian growth today, let's remember that we are all in this together, this in-between time, the already, yes, we are clothed with His righteousness, but the not yet, we are still in progress." The church, this church, is not a group of people who have arrived at full spiritual maturity. No. It's a hospital for those who are sick and weak and struggling and those in need of continual grace. But let's move on. Let's get more specific. What does Paul want us to pursue or how does he want us to pursue maturity in this in-between time? As we'll see, Paul does not give us a step-by-step discipleship plan. He doesn't tell us how to organize our quiet times or tell us what books to read or give us a Bible study plan. But he does give us a couple big principles that he really wants us to take to heart when it comes to our Christian maturity. So, if we want to pursue Christian maturity and I hope that we all do, then let's look to see what Paul is telling us. Look at verse 13. Philippians 3:13. He says, "Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. What's, what's, what's it? Made what my own? This, this completion in Christ, right? That includes the resurrection. It includes um, sinlessness. It includes being complete and whole in Christ. Godliness. I have not made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So Paul says, there's one thing I'm doing to attain the power of Christ's resurrection and all that it means for me. We're going to divide it up into two things. But he says, I'm forgetting what lies behind, and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. So, forget the past. Paul is forgetting the past. And what do you think he means when he says he's forgetting the past? Forgetting what lies behind. Well, first... He's talking about all those things he listed up in verses 5 and 6. Remember those? All those external qualifications, all those legalistic rules and regulations that he was following, he was counting on for his righteousness, he's given all those up. Those things he thought made him right with God, he is choosing to forget those and to move on to something else. Now, some of us here may need to do the same. It's possible that some of us have actually reignited our legalistic mindsets this week by making New Year's resolutions. It's really easy to start believing that we are made right with God because of our performance in the Christian life. I'm reading my Bible more in 2019. Surely God is happy with me. I'm committed to sharing the gospel more with my friends and neighbors. Surely that means I'm really a Christian, right? Church, we must never forget that our pursuit of maturity in Christ is never the basis of our salvation. We do not earn God's favor by our religious performance. We are saved by God's sovereign grace alone. Paul even mentions this again in verse 12. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Do you see the order there? Do you understand the order? We press on because we already belong to Jesus. That's my proposition, right? Because Christ has taken hold of us. We press on to Him. We don't belong to Jesus because we are striving hard. We strive hard because we belong to Jesus. We can't get that order mixed up. But I don't think that's all Paul means when he says he's forgetting what lies behind. He's not just making a break with his former unbelieving self. Because Paul was still a sinner. He regularly battled with his flesh, just like we do. And as Christians, it's oftentimes our own failures and shortcomings as Christians that bring about the most discouragement and keep us from pressing on. So some of us here today need to move past our previous sins and mistakes. Is that you? This is probably the hardest thing for me to do honestly. I don't know why. Um, It's just the way that I am. I am so prone to replay my mistakes over and over in my mind. Many of you here today have witnessed firsthand some of my own failures and shortcomings as one of your elders. I struggle to move past that. I do. I don't think I have yet. There are mistakes I've made, sins I've committed, even as a child, that I still remember. I still regret. There are times when those things come into my mind and I dwell on them, and those same feelings of shame and embarrassment and regret just come back. Do you experience that? There are times when our past sins and failures can become, for me, debilitating, preventing us from moving forward. Yes, there are definitely times when we need to reflect on our sin. We do it every Sunday confess our sins. We need to understand the seriousness of it. We don't want to gloss over our sin or make make excuses for it or blame shift it onto someone else. But church, we are never meant to stay there. We are not meant to linger under self-condemnation. We have been set free from our past mistakes. You have been set free from your past mistakes. Christ paid for those His sacrifice is enough for you. You are forgiven. So get up and press on toward Him today. That new identity you have been given in Christ is still there. It doesn't come and go based on your performance as a Christian. You have been given a new identity. Now go live in that righteousness. Some of us here today need to forget about how we have maybe been sinned against. Some of you have been sinned against in terrible, destructive ways. Some of those experiences have made it difficult for you to really believe that God's love for you is real. Maybe you don't really believe God could love someone who's been defiled or treated the way you have. Maybe you struggle to trust God because you've never been able to trust anyone in your life. But God's word for you today is that if you are in Christ You are a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And that's not just an abstract Christian lingo phrase that's supposed to make us feel good. No, you are not the same person you once were in Christ. You get that? 1 Corinthians 6 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, revilers, swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. That's not good news for us. But this is, and such were some of you. But you were washed You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Friends, if you're here and you are struggling to believe that you have been given a new identity in Christ, let those words ring in your heart. Memorize that passage, meditate on it daily. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of Christ by the Spirit of God. Let that truth sink down deep in your soul. Let it give you lasting day-to-day effects. You are a new creation. And last, maybe some of us here today need to forget about our past victories. Remember, forget what lies behind. Past sins, past mistakes, past being sinned against, but what about the good times? We all probably know people who love to tell stories and recount the past, right? Look back at the glory days, and somehow they, they're always the winners in these stories, it seems like. Like Uncle Rico, right, from Napoleon Dynamite, if you've seen Napoleon Dynamite, remember what Uncle Rico says to Kip when he's sitting on the front porch, I used to be able to throw a football a quarter mile, that's what he said. If the coach would have put me in the fourth quarter, we'd have been state champions. I guarantee it. Would have gone pro, made millions of dollars, soaking it up in a hot tub with my soulmate, right? Living in the past, man. Don't be Uncle Rico. Don't live in the past. Whether those victories be real or perceived, perceived, past victory is no guarantee of future success. Sometimes the things that hold us back are the best experiences in our Christian life. How many times have you gone to a conference or retreat or maybe as a kid going to a youth camp? You've had this amazing spiritual experience. We might call it a mountaintop experience filled with emotion and power. And it feels like you're standing right in the midst of the glory of God. I've, I've had these. I was saved at one of these experiences. And then, when you return to everyday life, you find that you just can't quite recreate that experience. Maybe you spend days or weeks or months looking for it, desiring it. Eventually, you get discouraged because you can't get those same feelings back. See, many people have left the church because they don't know how to move past the good times and press on towards the goal. The point is simply this. We need to be able to reflect on the past in a way that propels us forward. We must not succumb to discouragement or despair or wallowing in our regret. Christ is enough to cover your past mistakes, and He is better than any of your past victories. So let's forget what lies behind Let's press forward to Christ. That's my last point. Press on towards Christ. This is where the rubber meets the road in our passage today. We're called to press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I hope when you read that sentence, you think, what in the world does that mean? Right? That's a lot of... It's like a chain, right? You press on toward the goal of the prize, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Man, that's a lot, right? What is this prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Well, to sum it up, it's the finish line. It's finishing the Christian life well. Yes, it is attaining the resurrection of the dead, when, at Christ's return, but it's before that, it is Christ-likeness, Christian maturity, the fullness of Christ in us. It's something that we will only fully attain when Christ returns and the dead are raised, but it's something that we should be striving and straining towards now. But how do we do it? How do we do it? I have just 2 subpoints under this. First, how do we press on towards Christ? We work hard. We work hard. We strive. Twice in this passage, Paul says he's pressing on toward this. That's active, strong language. And then he says he's straining forward for it. These are action verbs that communicate communicate intense, concerted effort. It's the language of an athlete competing in a race. We have to get this. Do you want to grow in Christ's likeness? We all do, right? It's not going to happen passively. You will not stumble upon maturity in Christ. You won't find it by accident. It will only happen by concerted effort and hard work. The Illinois Marathon's coming up in a few months. Some of you, I'm sure, are signing up for a 5K or a half marathon, or if you've got something wrong with your brain, maybe the full marathon. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Gretchen will beat you anyway. Th- 35 weeks pregnant, doesn't matter. You know, she'll beat you. Um, but simply signing up, just because you go online and put your information in, that does that make you a better runner? Are you all of a sudden, like, a great runner? No, that's why they have the Couch to 5K program, right? Couch to 5K. Signing up doesn't make you a better runner. The only thing that makes you a better runner is getting out there or on the treadmill and actually running, right? That's the only thing that's going to do it. Have you ever known someone who decides to start working out and then goes out and buys all the gear? they got to get all the stuff, right? I'm kind of this guy in some ways. You know, I want to start doing something. Uh, Because the gear is really cool. (laughs) So i got to go out and buy all the gear. And then maybe don't ever do the thing that I got all the gear for. Uh, But just because you go to Dick's Sporting Goods and get all the running gear, the Under Armour and the whatever, are you all of a sudden a good runner? No. It doesn't make you a good runner. There are a lot of Christians who consider themselves to be on the team. They've signed up for the race. But very few... That actually get off the spiritual couch and strive toward the goal of Christlikeness. likeness. Now we all go through seasons of this, right? It's, it's up and down when we're honest with ourselves. This is hard for many Christians to understand. You see, our salvation, our, our salvation, our conversion comes to us apart from any religious works, okay? But our growth in godliness does not. We are counted righteous in Christ by faith alone, which is a gift from God, but we will never reach Christian maturity or maturity in Christ. We will never grow the way God intends for us to grow unless we do some hard work in pressing on and striving hard. What am I really talking about here, right? I don't know what pressing on means for you. Paul doesn't list it out here. He doesn't say, here's what pressing on means, 13 chapters a day, right? You've got to read 13 chapters a day and pray this many hours. No, we're never going to find that in Scripture. But what does it mean? Here's what it often means for me. I'll tell you what it means for me as I've thought about this this week. Pressing on for me might, need that I, might mean that I need to wake up earlier to spend more time in the Word. That's hard, Right? not easy. Pressing on means I might not get to spend as much time at home or in leisure or doing other fun things because the needs of others or the church take priority at that time. Pressing on means reading and studying and memorizing and actively putting into practice what God is calling me to do, whatever that might be. Pressing on means actively fighting against sin and temptation on a daily basis. Pressing on means getting involved in hard things like having hard conversations that we don't want to have that make us feel uncomfortable. Dealing with hard circumstances, taking a risk, stretching ourselves. Pressing on means choosing to forgive others when all you really want to do is lash out or retaliate. Pressing on means getting out of my house, meeting my neighbors, inviting people into my home, doing things that make me uncomfortable because the mission of Christ is more important. That's what pressing on means for me most of the time. That's, that's hard stuff. That's uncomfortable. It doesn't happen unless we actually take steps to make it happen. So first, we must remember that pressing on towards Christ requires hard work. It's not just going to happen on its own. you got to do something, okay? Not to earn God's favor, but to grow and to press on in maturity. The second way we press on, and I'm almost done, the second way we press on is that we keep our eyes on the prize. We are straining toward something, Like a runner barreling down the home stretch, he's not looking behind him. He's looking ahead at the finish line. I was a runner in high school. I ran cross country and track. I remember the coach just screaming at guys. He hardly ever screamed, but he would yell at you when you would look behind you to see if someone was coming up. Do you know why runners look back? Why do they look back? They want to see if someone's coming, right? But why? Why do people want to see if someone's coming? Because they want to know if it's okay for them to slow down. Think about that. I mean, I could slow down a little bit, right? Oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm slowing down, right? Can't think that way. Don't look back. As Christ followers, the prize is completion in Christ. One day we will be complete. We will no longer have to deal with the pressures and temptation of sin. Our weaknesses will be no more. There will be no more sorrow, no more tears. We will be in the presence of our glorious King for all eternity. We will be with Christ. He is the prize. We will be like him in all the ways we fail to be now. That's what we are looking at. That's what we are striving towards. And do you know what happens when we keep our eyes focused on Jesus? We actually become more like him now, today, in this life. When we keep our eyes on the prize, we will become what we behold. We look to Jesus. We become like Jesus. We take our eyes off Jesus. We won't become like him. We'll become like whatever our eyes are turned to. It is that simple. But how? I just keep asking the how question, the why question. What does this mean practically for us? Well, I'm going to get real specific, but I doubt anything I say here in conclusion will surprise you. How do we keep our eyes on the prize? How do we work hard? What are things that we need to do? as Christians. First, we will not grow apart from God's Word or prayer. You can't do it. It's a necessity in the Christian life. We must fill our minds and hearts with Scripture. See, there's all kinds of ways for us to do this. Read through the Bible once a year if that works for you. Read through it 10 times a year if that works for you. Commit Scripture to memory is there a particular sin you're dealing with? Do you struggle with anxiety or fear or going through a difficult circumstance? Then find a passage of Scripture and do battle with your soul. I talk with Jill a few times at work, and she tells me, she's told me a number of times over the years, she's remembering specific passages of Scripture to help her deal with whatever she's going through at work. It's been encouraging to me. She's taking Scripture, Applying it directly to her her heart and working hard to put it into practice. Brothers, sisters, do that. Don't be passive about your pursuit of Christ. Take the initiative and get in the fight. Do you struggle with fear? Psalm 56, 3 and 4 is a great place to start. Right, Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Great passage. Memorize it. Do you struggle with condemning thoughts? Romans 8.1, we read it today. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's incredible truth. Incredible when you're feeling condemned as you reflect on your past mistakes and sins? Do you struggle to even go to God's Word? Start with Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but what? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night great place to go if you're struggling to even believe god's word but no don't neglect prayer pray through scripture pray for your soul and souls of those around you make lists keep a journal if that's what works to you do works for you do whatever it takes to stay consistent in prayer Not because God needs you to tell Him what you want, but because He wants to hear from you and He delights to give you what you ask Him. If you've been neglecting God's Word and prayer, recommit yourself to those things today. Second, so first, God's Word and prayer. Second, commit to a local church. We must stop thinking about our spiritual growth in terms of isolation. See, growing in Christ-likeness doesn't happen as we just do our little quiet times tucked away in our rooms. No, it happens as we enter into the lives of our fellow brothers and sisters. We get our hands dirty with one another. We serve one another and with one another. We commit to a local church. We stay committed as long as the gospel remains central in that congregation. We stay committed to a local church. Third, we joyfully submit to God's providence in our lives. This is one you probably didn't think of. I think it's key. It's been huge for me this year. Third, we joyfully submit to God's providence in our lives. We must realize that oftentimes growth, we're talking about Christian maturity here, it doesn't usually come to us how we think it will come and it often doesn't look like what we think it will look like you see growth in godliness does not mean that we need Jesus less please take note of that growing in Christ likeness does not mean weaning ourselves off of our dependence upon him This has been a huge shift for me. Maybe you all are like, duh, Caleb, we know this. But this has been huge for me this year, just going through some circumstances that were extremely difficult. Growing in godliness and Christian maturity does not mean that we need God less. No. It's actually a deeper, more profound realization that without Christ, we would have no hope for change. Growth happens as God brings us difficult circumstances and suffering and trials, and these these things cause us to continually see our need for Him and not trust ourselves. That's what I mean when I say joyfully submit to God's providence in your life. He knows what He is doing. Nothing in your life happens by accident, and it's all meant to keep you pressing on towards Him. Your circumstances are just as much a part of your Christian maturity as reading your Bible and praying every day. Right? I have to believe that. God's providence in our lives, the things that happen, the situations we find ourselves in, the problems we cause, whatever it is, God uses all of it. To change you, to mature you. So joyfully submit to God's providence in your life. And last, there's more, but the last one I'll talk about. We press on towards Christ as we pursue the mission that Christ has given us. Pressing on towards Christ means pursuing the mission That Christ has given us? What is the mission that Christ has given us? What's the great commission? Go therefore into your basements and have your quiet times. Go therefore into your churches and pray with one another. No, those things are great, right? That's not the mission that Christ has given us. That's part, that's that comes into play, absolutely. What's the mission? Go and make disciples go and make disciples church we must not kid ourselves into thinking that we are somehow growing or maturing in our christian walk if we are not making disciples following christ Pursuing Christ, looking to Christ, means being disciples of Christ and making disciples for Christ. Who are you discipling? Who has God put in your life to share Christ with? Your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates. It's all discipleship. Are you being faithful and planting seeds of the gospel to those you are around? How might God be calling you to press on toward the goal of Christ likeness in your discipleship. I hope I hope that you think about that today. I hope you think about that this week. I hope you take some active steps in discipleship. Whether that's your children, your own children, someone else in the church, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, let's get out. Let's open our mouths. Let's tell people about Christ. That's pressing on. Let's press on. Church, let's forget what lies behind. Let's press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And let's do this because Christ has already taken hold of us. Because of what He has done. Because Christ has made us His own. We can press on toward Christlikeness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, what hope it gives us, even as we think about things like, that we need to do, like mature in Christ, press on towards Christ's likeness. Lord, this is not just our own doing, this is not just willpower, this is not um, just choosing to live differently. But, Father, you have empowered us. You have clothed us with the righteousness of Christ. We are united with him in his resurrection, and we are now free from the bondage of sin and death and the fear of Satan, and we are free to pursue and love and serve and give in the strength that you, by your Spirit, provide to us. Father, thank you for that. May we be a church full of people who are in love with Christ because we've been rescued by him. And may we love others, love this community, love one another as we pursue and press on towards Christ likeness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.